Well, I just want to say, um, as the kids are making their way out, I just want to say thank you. I mean, honestly, and, you know, I'm so appreciative of the gifts and so appreciative of the words and, you know, your presence here and the fact that you've trusted me and Garen and our team over the past four years to be where we are is, man, that's payment enough. And, you know, we're, we're really nobodies, you know, in the light of God's holiness. And, you know, the fact that us broken people even get the remote chance to stand here and proclaim his word is unbelievable. And so uh, I thank you for allowing me to do that. And I'm thankful for you guys and all that you've meant to me and my family and even people like Miss Quinn and Mr. Randy to be here knowing me and knowing, you know, I think uh, the first time I ever cursed in front of an adult was in front of Miss Quinna and she hasn't held that against me. I think she, which is partly her fault. She scared me when I was running across the road, uh, the, the yard to their house, but it, uh, you know, and God's been so good to us and, and y'all have been so good to us in more ways than I deserve. I promise you that. And so again, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for just being here. That is so much to me. So 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 13 and read down to verse 17. So let's read that together and see what God has for us this morning. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, rather it be to the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for this church that I believe is meant for and destined for great things in our community. God, alongside the other Bible-believing churches in our community, God, I believe we have a place to step into your good work here. God, and I pray as we continue to learn what it means to be a church in the midst of a resistant culture, God, that you would just speak to us about how we act, about how we live, about how we respond to the world around us, Lord, and that everything we think, say, and do would be meant for your glory and the expansion of your kingdom. God, we are broken, sinful, dreaded people, God, that only find any hope or any life and any meaning in you. God, help us to know that and see that this morning. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in your holy name. Amen. So I know when we read those verses, we immediately can maybe get a little nervous, especially in this climate of our culture and all those things. But, you know, one of the beautiful things that I love about God's word and for the way that we like to preach is we like to preach verse by verse, book by book, that type of thing, is there are things that we can't dodge. There's things that we can't avoid. And listen, for me, I want to be very clear. Maybe as we get into this text, there are going to be some things you hope I say. Maybe there's some things you expect me to say. But the thing that I promise you and the places I've even fallen short at many times before is not allowing opinion to supersede biblical truth and what God has called us to. So all I want to present to you this morning is the truth that God's word gives us in regards to this particular 
subject this morning. I have zero desire to get into opinions. I have zero desire to motivate you or move you in one direction or the other in regards to certain things and activities. You want to have a private discussion with me? I'm open to those discussions if you're curious about how I feel about particular things, but this is not the time for that. The time for now is to communicate God's word. And God's truth in this regard. Now, will there be other times where we'll have to be a little more heavy handed because God's word is a little more strong and a little more uh, uh, visible in the sense of how we navigate certain things, whether it's marriage, gender, relationships, those type of things? Maybe so. But right now, when we're talking about this, I want to just see what God's word has for us in that. And so that we'd not be distracted by the other things. And so I say that for us to understand that over the last couple weeks and moving forward, what God's word has been communicating in 1 Peter chapter 2 is the main theme is this idea of how we are observed by the outside world. So with those goggles, as we enter into this and as we've looked at the last two weeks, how we are seen by the outside world and how that is for the expansion and the growth in the evangelism of God's kingdom. And so what we'll see over the next few lessons as we get into now, next week, we'll take a break from first Peter. and We're going to kind of step into a more of a, uh, a celebration of, a, of, if you didn't know, October 31st is Reformation Day. And that's a big thing for us as a church of believer, Bible believers here today. And so we're going to celebrate the Reformation next week. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and what that means. But um, moving forward in our first study of first Peter, we're going to be speaking of this idea of the doctrine of submission. What does that mean? And for us, like I said, submission makes us nervous because a lot of times we equate submission with weakness, right? We, we equate submission with the relinquishing of rights. But when we, continue, when we dig into, and especially as we get into submission as in, in regards to relationships between a husband and a wife, as we get into those things, we'll see that submission does not have anything to do with weakness. Submission does not have anything to do with relinquishing of rights. But I would argue that it's the opposite, that submission has everything to do with our rights. Submission has everything to do with us stepping into strength. And so this morning, we'll see this kind of first part. And, you know, for a lot of us, like I said, submission is this hard concept to accept because by nature, we don't like authority. Like we don't like the idea of accountability. We don't like the idea of someone telling us what to do. We don't like the idea of, of some uh, uh, entity above us pressing down on us or, or holding us within this guardrails or this guideline for our life. You know, and I was listening to something this past week and it had a really great illustration. So I thought I would share it with you. You know, uh, they, did a, they did a study with a group, uh, an orchestra. They did a study with an orchestra. And within that study, you know, in an orchestra, they're broken up into sections, right? Woodwinds, brass, percussion, all these things. And so within this study, they asked questions to certain groups about what they thought about people in the other group. Certain characteristics or certain things about them. You know, like uh, the brass section would say the percussion section was loud and obnoxious. And, and uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the brass, uh, the, the percussion section would say that the string section was arrogant, you know, and, and uh, hoity-toity, you know, playing their uh, violins and all those things. And so they all had these different opinions about each other. They all played different instruments. They all did different things. But when the time came, and they stood in front of the crowds. They produced music. They produced harmonies. They produced melodies. They produce a piece of art that brings people to tears. And why is that? They're able to produce that music because of one thing. Because of authority. 
Because of their submission to who? The conductor. The conductor leads. The conductor directs. The conductor controls the dynamics. The the conductor is the one that takes all of this chaos and funnels it into purpose. And so for us this morning, as we navigate the space of submission, I pray that we could see it with this idea as an orchestra is led to present a piece of art to the world around them. That for us as Christians, as citizens of heaven, and not only citizens of heaven, but citizens of this nation that we live in, that through the orchestration of the conductors God has put in our lives, that it can be and will be used to make beautiful music for the Lord. For the Lord and for His kingdom. So when we talk about submission, how do we need to get in our minds about the idea of submission? Submission is this. Submission is voluntary cooperation. Okay? Submission is voluntary cooperation. Submission is not oppression. Submission is not slavery. Submission is voluntary cooperation. And another way it can be, uh, can be described is the idea of submission also kind of carries with it this weight of helping someone carry a load. Helping someone carry a load. So submission for us is not a sign of weakness, but it is a sign of, uh, if it's a sign of anything, it's one of my favorite words, it's a sign of meekness. Meekness. And so we've talked about this before. What is meekness? Well, meekness is power under control. Meekness is having the ability to do something, but choosing not to. Meekness is the ability. The meekness is what a horse does when someone's riding it, right? That horse has every power, every ability to throw that individual off and trample them into the ground. But what does the horse do? Under the control of its driver, I forget what they call horse folk, but uh, under the, the cowboys, whatever, you know, well, under the control of the person you know, taking care of or leading the horse, they're meek. They allow that. You know, they're obviously stronger, obviously bigger, obviously uh, more capable, but it's meekness. And so for us to understand that p- submission is a posture and it's a position that we place ourselves in. Submission is not something that can be forced on us. Submission is something that we allow. You know, and like we said, we're talking about it in the sense of, of when we're speaking of these entities above us. Later on, we'll be talking about it. In, uh, the next time, we'll be talking about it in regards to our employers. Uh, another time, we'll be talking about it in, in regards to our relationships between husband and wives. That submission is something that we choose. And so when we take the verses we've read into context and we think about who Peter is writing to. Because remember, that's very important. That's very important for us to remember who Peter is writing to. Peter is writing to a group of people that are under the rule of an autocratic government. Not a democratic government, but an autocratic government. And so what is an autocratic government? An autocratic government is where one man says everything. They make the rules They make the decrees. They make the decisions. Even to the point where Caesar Nero, who is the the, the emperor during this time, and, and it was custom during this time, that people would come and there would be certain times where individual citizens would have to come. They would have to make a sacrifice to the Caesar and claim that Caesar is Lord. And then after they had done that, then they could go worship any God they wanted. But first and foremost, they had to acknowledge that Caesar is Lord. Which, as we would figure, this was a problem for Christians. 
And so within that context of all this struggle, of all this strife that's going on, remember, they're being accused of starting a fire in Rome that potentially historians say that Nero, the emperor, started. That Nero, he, he was into racing, chariot racing. And so because they obviously didn't have street lamps in this time, the way that he would light the streets at night to street race is that he would have his men round up Christians, cover them in oils, and light them on fire to light the roads for him to race. This is the culture that they're living in. An autocratic government that despised them. And then what does Peter say? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be emperor or supreme or governors. That's tough, right? But he's speaking into something very specific about how we act. And so for us as Christians, there's two quick things that I want us to see. A why and a why not. And the first thing that I want to say is a why. Why do we submit? Why do we submit in the context? Why is he calling them as Christians to submit in the context of where they are? And it's because of this. These institutions have been established by God for our good. You know, and so when we think about our governmental systems, we think about our police force, we think about these authorities that have been placed within the context of our lives, we believe, and which is really awesome, you think about this book written almost 2,000 years ago, this, this letter that Peter has written, talking about a system that we still function in today. Now, obviously, not an autocratic system. It's, it's, it's changed over time. But the, the structure of a justice system, the structure of these things, the, uh, the morality of the system, all these things still spill over from over 2,000 years ago are still here for us today. And so when Peter is writing this to the people and he's telling them why, he's saying because these institutions have been established by God for our good. He's talking to Christians, the people here. God uses, he's telling us in, in these verses, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And this word subject also means submit. And why? For the Lord's sake or because of the Lord. He says the Lord has established governments over you. Without this, it'd be anarchy and everybody makes their own decisions. Everybody does their own things. And we know humans by nature are hateful. We're evil people. And we would like to think that if we had it up to ourselves, we would make the right decisions. But the reality is if that stops wasn't there, would you stop? No, because we think that I should go, right? Well, I'm in a hurry. Well, I've got things to do. Well, I've got places to be. Why should I stop? You stop. And then there's the collision. That's why God has established these things above us. Now, remember, we're not talking about a perfect system. And am I saying our system is perfect? Absolutely not. But God is not calling us, he's not calling it to this idea where it's a focus on an individual. Because listen, individuals will come and go, some we love, some we hate. But he's not talking about submission to the individual. He's talking about submission to an office. He's talking about submission to a position. And, and remember, we're talking about it from the top down. So he's saying because God established and ordained this, because of the Lord, because he has ordained this, then for us as Christians, we should be carrying a confidence that we have to know that it is never slipping outside of his influence or his control. And remember, we're talking about the theme of chapter two is this idea about how the outside world views our actions or how we live. And so for us as Christians, he's telling us that the way that we live should re be representative that we know that God is in control. 
That God is the one that is for his sake, by, because of the Lord, that he is the one managing these things. He is the one that has established these things. And so in verse 13 and 14, he says, To the emperor as supreme, or to the governors so sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. So you see the justice system kind of revealing itself, punishing those who do bad, and celebrating those who do good. So this is a system at which we live in. This is a system at which we currently function in that he's communicating about here. And so he talks about first the emperor. Well, the emperor is the king. And in this culture, the emperor is Caesar, Caesar Nero. So he says to subject yourselves or be in submission to the emperor as supreme king or the ruler of the nation. And the second person, he says, is uh, to the governors. And so this is more local or regional government. It kind of comes down. You know, so this is, he's really covering all the bases from the broad scale to the more micro, the more local scale. And, you know, within this time, there was so much corruption. You know, and it was very, the, the, the corruption was prominent, it was oppressive, but Peter's instruction shows us that we are called to show honor to those positions, even if the people aren't the ideal representation of that institution. And so for us to navigate that space, it's tough on both ends. Because remember, we're, we're going to have an idea and a belief, and, and I, I would even argue a biblical belief for how things should look and act. You know, but the thing for us, especially in America, we have to remember, as of now, we live in a free country. Thank God for that, right? And that the system is set up in a way that not one man can step in and change everything. And I praise God for that. And that's the systems. We are blessed, and we're one of the few countries that are blessed to acknowledge that. And we should be able to celebrate the fact that the system, for the most part, works to our benefit right now. Now, is there a time that it may be more like this? It's very likely. But the instruction doesn't change. And so he tells us, submit. Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject, this is Paul speaking, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Titus 3.1, remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. There is purpose and provision and submission and honor being given to these institutions to protect us and to provide for us. And thank God they do. Thank God for the police. Thank God for the government that we have right now. Even though, like I said, we're not acknowledging individuals. And I, I, I need us to wipe that out of our mind. I'm not acknowledging individuals. We're acknowledging a system. And even at that system's worst, it's beneficial. Even at the governmental system's worst days, it's beneficial for us because it guides us. It controls things. It keeps chaos from happening. It keeps structure in place. And that's where God is calling, and Peter is calling these people to be acknowledging of that idea. Romans 13, verses 3 through 4. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoing. So what do we see here? We see... We see uh, 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 officials, we see a force in action to keep things in line and to punish what is bad. 
Listen, we're, I mean, we're seeing a God-ordained structure that we would now call our police force, our judicial system. Like these things panning, uh, playing themselves out where Paul is speaking to the church at Rome here, kind of within the same context of the people that Peter is speaking to in 1 Peter. And he's telling them, he's telling them, listen, if you're not doing bad, you don't have any concern about the, the authorities above you. Because listen, when, do we, when are we most mad about the government or the authorities or even the police? We're, we're most upset with them when they're pulling us over, right? Because we're doing something wrong. Most of the time. More times than not. It's because we sped, ran a red light, and those times we're upset with it. Because we've done something bad. When do we celebrate it? When they do something good for on our behalf, right? When, they, when there's that, that burglar that stole something from our house and they take care of it for us. We're so thankful for that and we love them. But who doesn't? The person who got arrested, right? Because they did something bad. So for not doing anything wrong. And so what he's calling us to, what Peter is telling them, is to be mindful about the way you act. What God has called us to is that even though we are citizens of heaven, our eternal civilization is in heaven, we still live and breathe as citizens of this world and of this nation. And so what he is calling us to be is he's calling us to be good citizens. He's calling us to be people who are in submission, like we talked about earlier when we were talking about submission, being helping bear a burden. When we are, are, are of good conduct within the system that we live in, when we are of good uh, character, when we participate in voting, when we participate in all these things that we have responsibility for as citizens, we are in submission and help, helping uh, be a part of holding this thing up. Because God has called us to not be disorderly, to not be rebellious. He's called us to be good citizens, good people of the nations that we live in. To be of good conduct. Remember, all this is about conduct. All this is about how we act. And we're, we're getting to where we need to be as far as the second thing is why not. And we'll get there, so be patient with me. But... Jesus himself was even challenged on this position. I hate I don't have the scriptures. I lost my screen for some reason. But Jesus was challenged in this principle. In Matthew 22, this is an important verse to, for, to reference with this. But Matthew 22, verses 16 through 21. So you got two groups of people. You have the religious people that come to Jesus. And you have these other people called the Herodians. And so the Herodians are people who believe that Herod or the, the Caesar is supreme. And so you've got two different people with two different views coming together against Jesus to ask him a question. And this question in context could potentially upset everybody. It's going to either upset one or the other. There's not a lot of middle ground. They're thinking there's no way Jesus can get himself out of this. He's going to make some group mad. And so what, is, what do they do? Matthew 22, verses 16 through 21. It says, and they sent their disciples, talking about the, the, the Pharisees, sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, those who believed Caesar had ultimate authority, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinions, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice or their anger, their, their deception in this moment, aware of their malice, said... Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? He says, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, said, therefore, 
Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Can you imagine how upset they were? And right after this, it said they were, they were, they were furious. That Jesus said, Jesus said to the religious people there that were expecting him to say, don't give any because they hated Rome. And so they he would they they were hoping Jesus would say, don't give anything to the emperor. Don't give anything to Caesar. Give everything and sacrifice it to God. And then the Herodians were were waiting for him to say, you give everything to Caesar and don't think anything to God because Caesar's the ultimate authority. And what does Jesus say? He says, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God's. Now, I love how Jesus says that because it's a loaded answer also. He reveals the responsibility that we have as citizens to pay. And listen, the taxes in this time were much more detrimental to the people than our taxes are today. But what did Jesus say? Listen, give to Caesar the currency that is Caesar's. But give to God what is God's. What is God's? God's is everything. So he's, ta- he's revealing to the people there, listen, everything is God's. And even the things you give to Caesar aren't just Caesar's. They're God's. God is in control. God is taking over those things. God is using those things for his good and his glory. And it doesn't matter what the pagan Caesar says, God's rule will reign. So he says, listen, if Caesar has required something of you because of the rule of its, of its land, give it to him. But... Give to God's what is God's. And so the thing for us is that that's a point at which for us as Christians, we have to hold strong to. Because for us, we really don't have a right to complain about anything we give to Caesar if we're not already giving to God. I'm not talking about financially. Remember, because our Christian life is so much more than monetary giving. I'm also talking about our momentary giving of our time, of our effort, of our prayer, of our worship. You know, a lot of times people want to use verses and things out of the Bible to justify not doing things as far as citizens of the nation that we live in. But listen, we definitely are called to because of what Jesus says. But not only that, that if if we're not doing the second half of that, the giving everything to giving everything that's God's to God's, then we can't we can't reference these things for our own benefit. You know, we can't use these things for our own good. And then we'll get to that later on. Romans 13, 7 says, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now listen, he said owed in all those things. He didn't say earned. He said owed. He said give to those whose is owed what is owed. Proverbs 21, 24, 21. Proverbs 24, 21. Solomon says, my son, fear the Lord and the king and do not join with those who do otherwise. He's calling us to this life where our actions don't look like other people's actions, that our actions in regards to how we engage. Remember, and we talk about this all the time, that for us, and and you should, there are going to be times when we disagree, where we don't like something that someone above us says or someone above us does. But the way we act and respond and present ourselves to people in regards to our disagreement is very important about who we are as believers and what we believe about our holy God. Our disagreements with someone or with a governmental system or some authoritative system above us should never elicit violence, anger, hate. It should never elicit uh, from us slander. It should never elicit from us these activities. Not because we're saying we agree. But for some reason, we've associated disagreement and slander like those things go together. 
Because I disagree and don't uh, believe in the system or whatever someone is saying, that that means I have the right to dismantle, to, 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 to be uh, slanderful, to be malice, to be angry, to be hateful, to be violent even towards them, that that gives me the right. And it doesn't. Because he's called us to a conduct. He's called us to a certain way of living that, is, uh, that reveals itself. In verse 15 he says, By doing good you shall put to, to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Because the people already for them believed that the Christians were rebellious. The Christians are going to overthrow the government. The Christians are going to do all these things because they don't, they don't worship Caesar, they worship their God. And so what is Peter telling them? He says, do good so that you would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Don't give them, and we talked about this last week, don't do things in a way that gives people ammunition against you. Don't be ignorant. Don't be violent. Don't be, don't be in this way that allows people to prove, to say, that's what I thought. That's how I thought they would act. I thought they would be ugly about it. I thought that they would, that they would just completely verbally destroy this person because they didn't agree with them. That's what they expect. That's what they want to see. But listen, we can respectfully disagree. And that's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to this attitude as Christians where even in showing honor to a position, we can disagree or not respect the person or the, 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 the people within that system, whatever it looks like. In a lot of ways, he's calling us to carry in the character of Jesus at his trial and his crucifixion. I mean, Jesus called out Pontius Pilate. I mean, he told him that they were wrong, but what did he do? He, he said, listen, he said, this is where God's called me to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, is, and, and Jesus barely spoke the whole time during the, the, the crucifixion. And listen, I am not calling us to a passive approach to anything, especially this morning we're talking about governmental things. We should be involved. We should have discussions. We should be communicating about the things, especially when those things relate to what the Bible has laid out for us as far as our moral code and our moral standing. But there's a way at which we do those things. That's important. And that's what Peter is telling the people. Romans 6, verses 18 and 22. He says, And having been set free from sin, become, you have become slaves of righteousness. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. We are called to be upstanding citizens because we are free. We are not weighed down by the worry or the concern that the rest of the world carries around with them. We have a confidence that supersedes all of those things. And then in verse 16, he says, Live as people who are free, not using it as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants. And this is important, because what he's calling us to do as Christians is to not use the freedom that we have been given by the blessings of God as a cover-up for evil. And so this is what we talked about just a little bit earlier, that what we have, the right we have, and the confidence we have as Christians is not our excuse or our, our tool to cover up for or to make ourselves feel better about it or to make ourselves feel more comfortable or confident. What does he tell? Use the freedom you've been given in Jesus to be servants. Yikes, right? Because we don't want to be servants to the people we don't like. We don't want to be servants to the people we don't agree with. We don't want to be servants to a government that we don't trust. We don't want to be servants to these establishments set above us that we don't trust. But what does he do? He says, be servants. Don't use your freedom to cover up your own things, your own 
sin, your own evil anger, your own evil thoughts. He says, don't use it in that regards. Ephesians 6, verses 6 through 7, he says, Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Be servants, not as if you're serving man, but as if you're serving God and his kingdom. And how we live, how we act, and how we represent the kingdom of God here on earth as citizens of this nation that we live in, that nothing, nothing supersedes that. And then the last thing, he gives some instruction, then we'll get into the last point, and I've gone way too long. This is what we've got. Verse 17, he says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. So the first thing he says, and I love this, I love that this is the first place he goes in this little progression of things that he gives instruction on. The first thing he says is honor everyone. Bless you, Jeremy. Is honor everyone. And so we know that this everyone is everyone because he gets more specific as it goes on. And so he says honor everyone. As you navigate a culture of people who don't like you, who disagree with you, who don't, who don't believe in the things that you believe, what does he say? He says honor everyone. When we say honor, what are we saying? Fix value upon. Fix value upon everyone. This is where for us as Christians, we can uniquely step into a culture that doesn't want us there and be something different. Because not every religion views people who don't believe like they view uh, that they believe like Christians do. I mean, you get into some religions and, and it's even beneficial for you to, to you know, it, within the context of their religious order to have to show violence against you, to overtake you, to, to destroy you. It doesn't elicit value to everyone the same way Christianity does. And most other world religions are are this way. But Christianity says this. says there isn't one person who can be entirely despised or hated. That there is not one person who has quite lost the likeness of Christ. That every single individual that we see that wears flesh is an image bearer of God. And because at that base, whether they've believed in God or not, at their base, they are an image bearer of God and they deserve what? Honor. He says, honor everyone. Honor everyone. Honor every person that has hurt you. They are still valuable. Honor every person who has disappointed you. They're still valuable. Honor every person who disagrees with you. They're still valuable. Honor every person that lives differently than you. They're still valuable. Can we see how there's value in stepping into a mindset like that? and, And when we think about even going into discussions with people who disagree with us, if we can at least elicit value to that person and make sure they understand, listen, you're valuable. Even though I disagree with you strongly, I love you and you're valuable. And God sees you as valuable. That's why you should come over to our side. But anyway, that's another discussion, another thing. But for these people, the Jews weren't at liberty. He's telling them the Jews weren't at liberty to hate or look down on the idolatrous Gentiles, the people who were pagans, the people who weren't a part of the family of God initially. He's telling them, you don't have a right to look down or to treat them differently, he says, because God came to save Jew and Gentile. And he tells them, because... You're called to give honor, to fix value upon them. The second thing he says is to love the brotherhood. 
To love the brotherhood. And so what is he saying? To love the faith. Love other Christians. Love the people of God. The macro church. The universal church. Even in all its different little pieces and parts. That we could go round and round about strongly disagreeing on certain things. But he tells us. Love the brotherhood. And this is important in how we navigate this culture that we live in. And then the third thing. I think it's interesting that this is the third thing and not the fourth thing. But he says the third thing here. He says, fear God. And I think this is important. Now, he differentiates between fear God and honor the emperor. And we'll get into honor the emperor. But he says, fear God. Now, when we read fear in the Bible, we know we're not reading a trembly, uh, 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 hiding fear. We're reading about a fear that respects. When it elicits the word fear in regards to respect, this is the highest of respects. Because in fearing God, we acknowledge His might. In fearing God, we acknowledge His omnipotence. And in fearing God, we acknowledge His omnipresence. In fearing God, we acknowledge His sovereignty and His control and His power. I fear God. And so he calls, and I love how he says fear God before he says honor the emperor. Because he says, above all things, fear God. You're going to honor everyone. You're going to honor the emperor. But fear God, because true power comes from God. True authority comes from God. And so he says, fear God. All respect, all reverence, ultimate supremacy to God. And the last thing he says is honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. In the face of persecution, that you would still see value in the position. You know, and he didn't name him. He didn't name Nero. He didn't say honor Caesar Nero. But he says, honor the emperor. Honor that person that's in that, in that position. Honor the position. Honor this place because it is for your good. Because ultimately, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of hurt, even in the midst of suffering, it is for your good. Because God is either using the, the hill for your good or he's using the valley for your good. Either way, either place you find yourself at, God is using it for your good. Because God is in control and he has the ultimate purpose that will be accomplished. And then so the last thing, and we'll end here. Why not submit? Right? That's always the question that we want to ask. Why not submit? Because for us to understand that our ultimate allegiance is to His kingdom and that institution. So listen, you're not going to get specifics on me on when and when not to submit, but I think these are some great examples for us about how we consider certain things we navigate. Because the Bible's full of moments where people, individuals, did not submit to the, the command of the governing system above them, but still kept their conduct and their character about them. But they held God as ultimate authority. Uh, Exodus chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, the Pharaoh calls the midwives and says, the, 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 the Jews are getting too vast. Israel's growing too fast. I need you to kill every male baby. What do the midwives say? What do the midwives say? Exodus chapter 1, verse 17. It says, but the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Listen, they said, genocide, abortion, I'm not doing it. I'm not participating in that. They let the males live. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. 
Daniel and, 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 uh, and the others that had been brought into uh, Babylon at this time, they had been given a very specific dietary requirement. But this very specific dietary requirement went against their religious convictions. What the law had told them up to that point. And so what does it say? It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chef of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He asked. How polite of Daniel, right? He just said, I'm just not doing it. He didn't, I mean, he was, he was a captive in this time, but the, he, they were allowing him to live freely, him and the other people from Israel, and, and he didn't strike up a rebellion. He didn't show violence against the emperor. What did he say? He said, I'm just not doing that. I'm going to eat what, I, what God has called me to eat. Daniel 3, 17 through 18. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're be, being summoned to worship an idol. Many of us know that story, but they said, no, we're not going to worship your idol. We're going to worship our God because our God has called us not to worship other idols. Simply that. And what did they say? What does it say? In Daniel chapter three, verse 17 through 18, it says, if this be so, this is them speaking. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So listen, either way, either God delivers us and we're safe and we're good, or we die in this furnace. Either way, I'm not serving your gods. What do they do? They threw them in the furnace. They stood for their convictions. They stood for their convictions. Listen, you obey until your obedience requires you to disobey God. We submit to the governmental authorities above us until that obedience requires us to disobey God. And then we respond. And they've given us some great examples on how to respond. All right? Let's go uh, another one. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says, when Daniel knew... And so what happened is the, the, the people, they didn't like Daniel. And Daniel was liked by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And so... You know, they, the king says, uh, the people come, they say, hey, we should make a rule where people can't pray at certain times or can't pray uh, and, and that they should only be praying to you. And so what these, they did is they come and they trick the king into this. And so when this happened, it says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God before his God as he had done previously. Listen, they told me I can't pray. I got to. Sorry, I'm going to do it three times a day. I'm going to face the nation at which God has promised to his people. And I'm going to pray. And so what happens? They come, throw him in the lion's den. Daniel, a great example. Tells the king, tells the rulers, listen, my ultimate authority is God. God has called me to pray. God has called me to worship him alone. And the moment that we're drawn into a situation where we're called to worship otherwise, to not pray, then we pray. Listen, I'm so, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that there is context at which we go publicly and we're still allowed to pray. And I pray, I pray that we continue to push that agenda. That we pray. That we pray. And listen, for me, I would say, hey, pray when you're not supposed to pray. That's not violent. That's not, uh, that's not a dishonor. And that's the thing about all of this. They never dishonored the authority. Do you understand that? They never dis- And Daniel never dishonored Nebuchadnezzar. He just said, I can't do that. 
I can't do that. I respect you. But my God is my authority. He's called me to pray to Him. He's called me to worship Him. He's called me to the dietary guidelines. Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. John and Peter are preaching the gospel and the people, the Pharisees come. They say, no, you can't do that. And so then they said this. Says, so they called them, the, uh, the religious people said that. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no, uh, finding no way to punish them because the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. And then in verse 5, we see the situation continuous in saying, We strictly are charged you not to teach in His name. And they said this, Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. They honored the authorities but they continue to worship and spread the gospel because that's what God had called them to do. There are things that God has called us to do, convictions that God has laid before us that we've got to hold fast to. Worship, prayer, evangelism, the sanctity of human life, that's what these situations all were. They weren't anything personal to those individuals, other, all of them being expressions of love for someone else or expressions of worship and prayer toward the holy God or evangelism. That is our main responsibility. They honored the position, but they obeyed God. And so to conclude, we can say this. As the band comes up, and we're just going to end with just a short time of singing together. Though we are eternal citizens of heaven, we are temporary citizens here called to be in good standing. Called to be of good conduct. Called to be orderly. And that we are called to be submissive, to be subject to, unless that submission is in opposition to God and His commands and the moral code for His people. Whether you agree with them or not, they need to be prayed for. We need to respect the office even if we don't respect the individual that we need to be praying for good, for protection, for the best, for our systems, and that our first place of submission, above all things, our first place of submission and the most valuable, the most respected place of submission we should be at now if we are Christians is our submission to the Lordship of Jesus. We cannot and will not adequately submit to any authority until we've submitted our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. It's because when we've submitted ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus, worship, prayer, uh, and adoration, and, and faithful participation in the ordinances that He's laid before us as Christians. Listen, there is no place that hate can well up in the heart of someone praising God. There is no place that discouragement can well up in the heart of someone praising and worshiping and praying to a holy God that is sovereign and is in control. The problem for a lot of us as Christians is we are living our lives in too much fear. We're living our lives in too much fear because we have not truly acknowledged the Lordship of God in our lives to lead us, that His ultimate good will be accomplished. And now for us, does that mean that we're passive in how we have conversations and participate in the citizenship we've been given? No, and don't read into it that. But our number one responsibility is the submission and the Lordship of God in our lives. And when we have that, when we have that, listen, I'm going to vote for who's president. 
But listen, when the person that I didn't vote for wins, all is not lost. It is not hopeless. It is not all done because my God is still in control. Will I vote for him next, to vote against him next time? Probably so. But it doesn't mean that my God has lost because every authority, every entity above us has been given that authority. They have not earned that authority. They have not taken that authority. They have that authority because of one thing, because God has allowed them to. And so God's ultimate purpose will reign. And for us to know, hate cannot well up in the heart of someone praising and worshiping God. In submission to God, we will find ourselves praying for people we don't like, empathizing with people we don't agree with, and wanting good and salvation for people we want to be nothing like that are nothing like you. God will call us to that. God will bring us into that space when we first submit to him. Listen, Paul preached to the Gentiles, a people at one point in his life he hated. Peter, uneducated, regular guy, was sent to the Jews, some of the most educated, prominent people in the regions. Listen, and the way that they can navigate those relationships because their ultimate lordship, their ultimate honor, their ultimate fear was in a holy God who had greater and bigger purposes than any weak king could ever have. Our God is in control. And the submission starts there to allow us to subject ourselves to the authorities, the local authorities around us that are here for our good. Whether they're doing good for us or not but it all begins with submission to Jesus. So could we stand this morning? I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing a few lines of these songs, this song together to just praise and acknowledge who God is and what he's doing in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, God, for your goodness. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the confidence that we gain from knowing who you are and what you do in the lives of your people. God, we are broken. God, we are weak. God, we are afraid at times, but God, you are good. God, let us see. Let us see our purpose in submission. Let us see our purpose and the the provision in the midst of this day that we live in. Father God, let us have confidence in you. Let us see who you are and what you do. In your holy name we pray.